Welcome to That's Church. My sister Emmy and I are on a mission to open our hearts and minds by attending different churches here in Utah. We're talking to the beautiful people that make their church a community. In what ways has the Community of Christ Church pushed back against the patriarchy? Excited about this one. Well, I don't know if I'm the most qualified as the guy on the conversation, (laughs) but I will tell you that when the decision was made in the mid-1980s to ordain women, the church went through a lot for that decision. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people that left, and that decision has laid the foundation for the church to continue to break down against the patriarchy. For example, today, not only are women allowed to hold the priesthood, but actually uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community. And we perform their weddings and welcome them and have them in priesthood. If, if you want some great context on what happened back in the 80s and women gaining the priesthood, Brittany's actually interviewed some of them on a podcast called Project Sign that she's done, where she's talked mm. with them about their call and what it was like to be some of the first women called into priesthood callings and also into uh, being apostles and other leaders in the church. One of the interesting things that, that did change as part of breaking down patriarchy is the patriarchal blessing. We do have patriarchal blessings in our church, but the name was changed because as we started ordaining women into the priesthood, and we really didn't think matriarch was the right word for it as well. <laughs> right. So you could get a different one from different And they decided to look back at what the blessing really was doing, and they changed the name to an evangelist blessing. Mm. So you get evangelist blessings today in Community of Christ, and you can choose your evangelist. It's not assigned as much by geography as as you may be used to in the LDS Church. The evangelist blessing can also be a personal blessing, but congregations can also seek out and get an evangelist blessing, which I think is pretty cool. So cool. That is so cool. So our church is still led by a prophet. And we have, uh, 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 today we have many women that are called as apostles, and our apostles are also quite diverse. For me, it's been interesting. My personal experience with this was very personal with my mom. My mom decided that she wanted to go back to college when I was in high school. And this was the Mm -hmm. time when President Hinckley and others were very much pushing against that. And she made a decision to just ignore the patriarchy. And she went back to college and she became a teacher. And the thing that was amazing about it was her making that decision actually benefited when she came back and was an AP English teacher and an English teacher. It benefited, and she was a coach as well, in golf and debate. But it actually benefited our community for many, many, many years. In fact, she recently retired. And so I'm really grateful that, that I have women in my life who have, who have stood up to the patriarchy and have wanted to fight mm-hmm. it. Now, yeah. speaking of retirement, it, it is interesting to note that uh, senior leaders in our church don't serve until they pass on. They actually can choose when they would like to take emeritus status. That's similar to the word that's used for the 70s in the LDS church. But we've had prophet presidents that have chose to retire. In fact, our current prophet has announced his retirement and that they actually go and retire and live life afterwards. And one of the benefits of that is it does help keep younger people and and help kind of turn around the senior leadership of the church I think it's great, though, that the senior leaders of the church can still go to those retired folks as well for advice and for learning and for understanding. So yeah. we we are really excited for an upcoming announcement for who the next prophet president will be, where our current prophet president has announced his retirement next year at World Conference. Oh, wow. Yeah. Please let us know. Let us know and we'll, so, we'll put that in here. Yeah, for sure. We will. I just want to add really quick. We, at this point, have not had a woman be prophet president, but we currently have a woman who is in the first presidency who is acting as president with her co-counselor, Scott Murphy. 
So in President Vizi's absence, the two counselors step forward and they've been doing official businesses, business of the church um, with that prophet president name and title um, while our prophet president is on medical leave. Uh, and I also wanted to mention that half of our uh, apostles are women. Out of our 12 apostles, six of them are men and six of them are women. And so at every level of church leadership, uh, we do have women represented. Our presiding evangelist, like Jason said, it used to be called the office of patriarch, is also a woman. So our like head lead spiritual guru in the church is a woman, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, and then, yeah, we've had a, a woman be the presiding bishop before, which I also think is pretty great because in the LDS church, you can't touch money or have anything to do with money if you're a woman. Um, but Community of Christ, we've had our presiding bishop be a woman as well. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful for their upcoming leadership and just those expansive roles. Um, yeah. That is That's incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So awesome. I've heard the phrase like uh, holy envy and I am very envious. <laughs> it just feels so obvious that that anyone um, worthy of those positions should be able to hold those positions. So that is incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thank you for yeah. sharing that about your mom, Jason. That is, I love hearing stories like that because I feel like our mom was a feminist without knowing she was a feminist. And I think that that is why I am able to stay in my religion. Um, and I just live it as works for my life because I had her example where she she was in Young Women's most of her, uh, most of my childhood anyway. And, um, and my, while I was in Young Women's, she was in there and, and she, I just watched her talk to the bishop, like just, she just talked to him like they were complete equals. And, um, and it, I really think that that had a huge impact on, on our upbringing and how we view the world. And I'm always very grateful that I had that. And yet I still do see that there is progress to be made within our religion, um, as far as the patriarchy goes. Um, and that's just my opinion. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that story about your mom. I think there's progress to be made throughout the world too, where patriarchy is concerned, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, just as a whole, but, Absolutely. but yes, definitely within our church as well, for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked a little bit about Joseph Smith and how he's a little more, um, not the central focus of your religion, but that Christ is. But Emma Smith had such a huge role in your in your church. And I noticed when I walked in to visit, there was a portrait of her on the wall, which was so refreshing to see. Um, I love art, too, and the style of it was just beautiful. Um, and so we were just wondering, does, does she have... Does she still hold a lot of um, historical importance in your in your religion? Do you talk about her often, or is she also a little more um, a little more in the background? What would you say to that? I think I'm going to describe how our church feels about Emma, talking a little bit about our our congregation. We actually have a bunch of mugs, coffee mugs, that have Emma and quotes on them, and and some of the quotes are about how she never felt Joseph Smith practiced polygamy and things like that. The the picture that that you're mentioning that we have on the wall is from the Year of Polygamy podcast, and uh, Emma plays a very important role in our church. In fact, the nickname that some people often give us at Sunstone and other places is that we are Emma's church, and her influence is very strongly felt for uh, her her teachings that Joseph Smith did not practice polygamy. It was also reinforced back in the 1860s by Joseph Smith III. For over a hundred years, the reorganized church claimed that Joseph Smith and people in their organization had not practiced polygamy. And mm -hmm. then the new Mormon history that Brittany mentioned a little bit earlier started to come out. And that's when there was quite a bit of deconstruction that had to take place in the church between the 1960s and the 1980s. For me personally, I have a great deal of gratitude and respect for Emma. I, I am looking forward to many to someday going back to Nauvoo and seeing some of the historical sites and the Nauvoo house and things like that, that she actually maintained and are maintained today by our historical leaders. Mm. And I am grateful for what we've received through teachings and other things from the direct descendants in the family. Interesting. And I, you kind of touched on, this is one of my questions that I'm going to slip in 
um, that I've been wanting to ask and you kind of touched on it. Tell us the difference. And Jason, you and I talked a little bit about this at the service uh, afterwards, but um, tell us the difference between the word of wisdom and in your church versus the LDS church. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing the coffee when I walked in. I was like, yes, I'm home. <laughs> so the word of wisdom is in our doctrine and covenants. It isn't numbered on the exact same section. It's a few sections down the road, but okay. it is there word for word exactly as it was in the LDS church. And the same history behind it with, with Emma and with the tobacco being spit on the floor and those types of things, all very much a part of it. The mm-hmm. word of wisdom is treated as a principle and a promise. The the interesting thing, though, is kind of where the two communities have gone with this. For example, in the LDS Church, there was a lot. Not only did the LDS Church choose to take it from being a principle and a promise to more of a commandment with the temple ordinances and worthiness to enter the temple, Mm -hmm. but also some of the interpretations like hot drinks and things like that are very, very different. In Community of Christ, we love our coffee. And we serve coffee at church. We have coffee. At, like when we went back to World Church, we had coffee during receptions at the temple and things like that inside oh, wow. our temple. Wow. And it, it is very different. Probably mm-hmm. one of the more interesting examples to just enforce, reinforce how much it was. Uh, we, we have our reunions, our church camps each year. And when I went to the church camp up in Washington the first year, uh, Claude, who was one of the old military guys who gets up at five and makes the coffee, had made over 28 canisters of coffee. That's not pots of coffee. Those are the canisters that are like two or three pots, the great big ones. Oh so, and and we, we laughed because over the course of the whole weekend, there's about a hundred people there, but just it's very much a part of the energy of our church. Wow, that's <laughs> we, a lot of coffee. We, it is. And we also serve tea and other things like that. Uh, probably another good example is our, our church is led by common consent, which we've mentioned a couple of times here, but mm-hmm. it was interesting that in regards to priesthood, which is where the word of wisdom is really is for, is um, encouraged in those types of things. When, for people who are called to priesthood, they actually sent a request through our world church resolution process to have the first presidency do a deep dive on the alcohol portion or the intoxicants or substances. And one of the apostles, Locke Mackay, who is really into church history and many people in the church history museum will know, will know him. It was interesting, instead of going to the Holy of Holies inside the temple or things like that, the church actually brought in scientists, doctors, and historians. And they actually did a deep dive on the prohibition societies that were taken place at that time and they started looking at strong drink and what the real definition was of that and they actually ended up coming out and mentioning that beer wasn't really considered part of strong drink by the prohibition societies at the time that it was more of the harder alcohol and as a result of the first presidency at the church's request looking into that they did change some of the ways that the interpretations of the word of wisdom were done in in line with that and there is a podcast that is on the project sign that Locke Mackay taught a Sunday school lesson in Salt Lake Congregation about it it was kind of his big way of talking about his experience being involved with that as a historian so that's pretty exciting to have that clarification interesting we have a lot of podcasts to catch up on because those sound really fascinating I I am actually grateful that we have a word of wisdom just because I think it's I think our physical health ties into our spiritual health in so many ways. But I um I I have an account called Duanced Mormon because I have some very different I just live I live my religion differently than some and um and I just kind of believe all things in moderation and similar to our our spiritual um how we are spiritually fed I think that our bodies and we're all unique so we all we are all feeding ourselves spiritually in a unique way. And I think our bodies are all so unique that it's so, it's too difficult to put everyone in the same category. Um, but that's just my opinion. But I do like the focus on treating our bodies well and, you know, 
things in moderation and doing what's healthy for each individual. New policy, if you will, on priesthood and alcohol, uh, I think came out in 2019 at our world conference. So essentially, before that, um, if you were an ordained member of the church, you were not allowed to drink. That would be outside of the bounds of what we would call priesthood faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And then now the policy says that we are urged to refrain um, but we also recognize that um, different cultural events or understandings, you know, might impact um, whether or not there's alcohol present and um, priesthood is urged to refrain. But that really kind of hard line of it is against the quote unquote rules um, no longer exists. Uh, however, you will still not find alcohol on Community of Christ property. We can't have it at our official functions at our camps, things like that. So um, it's not like all of us are just out partying and getting drunk. We are still asked to urge to refrain. Um, but again, that is reserved for clergy, for ordained members. Um, there's not like a worthiness interview or anything that would go with that. And members or friends of the church are not um, expected to live by that priesthood faithfulness um, standard. I don't want to use the word standard, but that's what's like the LDS version of what the LDS vernacular would be. Right. Yeah, for sure. And maybe this is an obvious answer, answer, but, or question, but so you, you were ordained as a leader of your church. Do you receive the priesthood? Is that what you call it still? And maybe you've already answered this. Yes. The the language around it is a little bit different. So you would probably not hear a community of Christ person say like they hold the priesthood. We do not view priesthood as like some angelic power that we now have when we didn't have it before. Um, we view priesthood as a call from God that is confirmed by the community. So there are actually few community of Christ ministers that are ordained in the church um, in any given congregation, I've heard statistics of maybe 15 to 20% is kind of the um, average of, you know, how many priesthood folks are in the congregation. So it's not an automatic ordination. You don't get ordained when you turn 11. Um, you don't progress, you know, hierarchically through the ranks. Um, but it's really seen as a call or a calling to live out discipleship and ministry in a in a specific way. So yeah, we don't see it as a magical power. Um, okay. We see it as a promise to live Christ's peace and to bring about Christ's mission in our communities. So it's one of those things where like the word is exactly the same in the LDS church, but the application and the theology behind it is quite a bit different. Interesting. And it's very much a democracy, right? So you were voted in as the pastor of the congregation. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. A couple of years back, we knew that we were going to be getting a new pastor because our pastor Carla left and became a member of the presiding bishopric. As part of that process, mm -hmm. our congregation started discerning together. A committee was formed, and that committee was took a look at quite a few members in the congregation, priesthood holders, and so forth, to see who made sense and who they felt God was really asking us to be our pastor. Now, in Community of Christ, we do hold a business meeting at least once a year. In our congregation, it generally takes place in November, and then the decision is made for the next year. And during that meeting each year, we actually do elect a pastor. We also elect other committees, the building committee, the finance committee. Hmm. And then speaking of finances, we do the congregation has a financial officer, and the financial officer at that meeting explains the budget today for that year, and then lays out the budget for the next year for approval. Now, the finance committees help them put this together prior to the meeting to make it more concise. But then the congregation reviews what's proposed as the budget and either makes changes or goes ahead and ratifies it. So this is something that is done each year, and it is a pure play business meeting with Robert's Rules of Order and the whole bit. But in the end, especially where we're choosing our pastor and also confirming our, uh, confirming may not be the best word, actually ratifying the decision to have our financial officer and who it is, and also supporting them. It's a pretty important process for us. Yeah, for sure. 
That's awesome. We were very impressed when we were there. You were all talking about getting a roof. And I, I think that's so cool that it's even talked about, you know, like, and, um, and tithing is an option, right? It's not a kind of requirement. It's, it's something you can contribute to help your community, but it's not a, a required thing to enter your temple or anything like that. Correct. Um, is that correct? Yeah. That's correct. So cool. So interesting. One of my favorite things about tithing, real quick, since we're right there, is that it's not always the main thing. Thing is also great if you are contributing to the congregation in any capacity that can count as tithing. So if you're not always financially able to give, you are still seen, you're still giving time, energies in other ways. That said, financial means are always great to get in the roof. Right. I love that. I love that, that just that. makes sense. I love that so Give much. what you can and, uh, you know, if you have talents or, yeah, that is. So please know that we do pass the plate. And if you're coming to visit us for the first time, mm-hmm. this can be completely intimidating. Uh, <laughs> it, it just, I mean, going from giving something discreetly to right out there in public but one of the things you'll notice is that not everyone contributes to the plate. We have e-tithing and other ways of donating through Venmo and other means. So for us, coming from an LDS background, we usually connect this to having it be our show of righteousness. But honestly, in community of Christ, it's just our tradition. And it's really just our practical way of gathering up money and helping make sure the church has operations to continue. I love it. I think it's so cool. I actually... When uh, when we were there, Ashley had money and I didn't, but I've always wanted to put money in a plate just because I think it's cool. So I was like, let me do it. I was like a little girl. So I made her give me the like, money. And I, you'll appreciate this more. <laughs> I love it so much. I actually knew I was like, Emmy's going to love this. <laughs> I just feel it. <laughs> we know each other pretty well. <laughs> Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. So we totally. shared. I, I I contributed in my own way. <laughs> I did not. No, but I put out some good energy. So <laughs> we all do it in our own way. <laughs> you gave the money. Yeah. But it was really cool to see you guys talking about like the needs of the the church building even. Because I think like those are things that, that um at least in our religion, those are not on my mind at all. You know what I mean? And it, it does just add to the whole community vibe of like we're all in this together we're fixing our roof together like it felt very unifying so these next questions are for Brittany um now this question is from one of our listeners and it's very specific to them but I thought it was so fitting for so many people so I'm going to ask it exactly the way she asked it she said after leaving the LDS church I don't know where to start to know if I believe in God or not do you have any advice and this was very specific for Brittany so I kind of love that this question was for me um, because yes I have advice uh, because I absolutely relate to what this listener was talking about because I kind of already mentioned but Mormon God for me had to die so growing up believing that I was a literal child of a literal male God Um, And I was going to become a literal goddess to a literal God who may or may not be a polygamist, but I definitely grew up thinking that eternal polygamy was a thing. Uh, That that's what God was. And God demanded our obedience. God required, you know, exact obedience to get blessings. And that was the framework that I had. And I always, um, quietly believed in a heavenly mother. But again, there was like this maybe fear in the back of my mind that she was one of many um, and that God was actually a a polygamist. Um, And I mean, that was just what I grew up with. And so when I left the LDS church, I had no understanding of what God could be beyond that. And when I think of, you know, the words, the gospel, For me, the gospel was the LDS plan of salvation and blood, like sacrifice of Jesus and, you know, dying for our sins and and all of these things had to be reconstructed and they all point to this new God. So my first piece of advice would be to diversify your theology. It turns out there's a whole lot of other ways to look at God. 
And I think in Mormonism, um, you know, Mormonism kind of dances around some of those different metaphors for God. And I do appreciate that there is a specific place for a divine feminine. Um, but Christianity beyond that has so many metaphors, so many various gendered uh, metaphors or non-gendered metaphors. And there's like actual theological reasoning behind this. And so I would just um, suggest that folks look into liberation theology, womanist theology, which is from the Black women's perspective and how they view God. Um, there's a whole branch of queer theology. So what does God say to the queer community? How does the queer community view God? Um, and, you know, when we talk about the good news of Jesus, what does that good news mean for those who are in the margins? Um, there's a whole branch of spirituality that is um, very meditative and, um, you know, it, it, like quiet ritual within yourself. So, um, you know, I'm talking like a Richard Rohr contemplative kind of meditation that bring you to a different understanding of God. Um, one of my favorite theologians is Dolores Williams, and she's a prolific womanist theologian and liberation theology. So looking at the, the context of scripture from a lens of liberation, and I'm talking like radical political liberation and viewing the story of Jesus through those eyes too. Um, these all help reconstruct a God that is actually, um, like not harmful, right? <laughs> that that's not toxic, um, that cares about us and that there's a reason for living beyond being obedient to God. And so this process for me took years and it's really is still ongoing, um, for a long time, any sort of male imagery of God, I was just not interested in. And it was triggering, if you will, to hear words like Heavenly Father or God the Father. Um, I am beyond that now, and I it doesn't trigger me like it used to. Um, but I guess all of this to say is that the Mormon church does not own God. And even though I used to believe that they did, um, God can be so many different things. And they're all scripturally based, right? When you just crack open your scripture and actually let those metaphors come to life, you find a God that is very much not Mormon God. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't believe in Mormon God anymore. And that construct of God completely dissolved. And what has come from that has been a much more universal God, um, not this like old man in the sky, but, um, you know, something that a, a power that interconnects us. I, I, I wouldn't even necessarily call my God a higher power. It's more of an interconnected power um, that connects all of creation. So yeah, and, and I get that that can feel very threatening and scary. Um, and, you know, people have argued about the nature of God since the beginning of time, but your journey, your relationship with God, your um, metaphors and models for God are yours and yours alone. And so I would just encourage folks to not uh, be bullied into believing in a God that they don't believe in. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Mic drop. That was beautiful. Just, but then I That's break true. It, <laughs> that, that was definitely awesome. meant for you. It's that taken me beautiful. a long time because the Mormon God is so specific, right? And, yeah. and it's, there's no other option presented and there's no other purpose presented. And I don't, I, I, sometimes I try to think like, what did little Brittany think that everyone else believed in? Like what, like if they didn't believe in Mormon God, did I really just think that they didn't believe in God? I, I, I can't even remember like right. what I thought in my most like TBM days. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Mormonism does not own God. It just mm -hmm. simply doesn't yeah. don't let them. Yeah. I love yeah. That. yeah. We've recently started. Well, I see recent. I'm so bad with time. I think I've been doing this probably like a year. Um, but I, uh, I've started saying, um, dear God in heaven, when I start a prayer mm. and, um, it, it, it came about because I had, um, uh, been interested in heavenly mother and been looking into that. And I, I too kind of just believe now that God can be whatever you need it to be. Um, 
and so and and just non-gendered and all-encompassing and i think that it's just too much for our brains to even contemplate um but i have made that change because i had a conversation with my children one night at bedtime and i said we talk about heavenly father but do you guys think there's a heavenly mother and my daughter's eyes lit up and they just were like it makes me a little teary but they were like oh yeah there has to be a heavenly mother and i'll never forget that feeling of like wow I I check with them on most things now because they just have the simplest way of looking at things. And it's almost like the, uh, you know, kind of like the, the sweetness and innocent and innocence of a child. And it just makes sense. And so we, um, I, I'll say heavenly mother sometimes, but oftentimes I will just say, dear God in heaven. And I've noticed that I've it started at home and now I've noticed that I've said it at church and during family prayers, and no one ever questions it. No one ever talks to me about it. And it's just become so part of my prayer ritual that um, that now I don't even think twice about it. So no. Um, and and I think like I like Ashley. I, I like what Brittany said that it, that it doesn't have to be a higher power even. And like for you, you say dear God in heaven. For me, I say dear God. Like, and, and it doesn't matter what the words are, you know. But um. But I love that idea, Brittany, that that it doesn't even have to be a higher power, but something that's just connected, that just connects us and that you feel within yourself even. And um, um, one of our friends believes in the power of herself. And um, and she said, I, I don't know that I believe in God, or maybe I call it God, but I believe in the power within myself. And I think there's something really beautiful about that. Mm. So thank you for I sharing that, that, Brittany. That was really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much about inward heaven in the in New Testament that I really believe that that I mean she's free to call it whatever she wants. I just think like yeah, the spirit comes from within, and there's so much about that in New Testament that that's why it's my favorite. <laughs> Hard to leave New Testament. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. This is another one, or, or continued on. This is for Brittany. Um, but how has being a female pastor? changed your life or changed your faith, I should say. I know we've talked about this quite a bit, but um, but coming from an LDS background, I bet that that was very empowering for you to be able to take on that role. And having, having women in the church in general in leadership, like has how has that changed your life? Maybe not necessarily just for you, but just seeing that role change and seeing, we've talked about this quite a bit, but. Yeah. So when I was leaving the LDS church, it was, um, my, my final breaking point was actually Kate Kelly's excommunication. She was the founder of the ordained women movement. And, um, I had a lot of friends who were in the founding, you know, leadership team of the ordained women movement and seeing how they were treated by my church was just devastating. Um, I was kind of always one of those like, well, I don't want the priesthood, but we should be able to ask the question or, you know, some women should be ordained, but not for me. And um, ordination in community of Christ has actually been kind of a tricky thing for me. Um, I never really saw myself as a leader. Um, And every time that I've been invited into a, you know, leadership role or a new role within the church, I've done so a little bit kicking and screaming. Um, But I will say that I, have had the undeniable just confirmation that women should be in leadership positions. Um, When I first came to Community of Christ, um, we called the sacrament communion. And communion was served to me by a woman who was a former LDS woman. Um, and, and she was my first experience having communion from, from a woman. And it was just overwhelmingly right. Kind of what you were saying, Ashley, with your kids and just having talk on, you know, a divine feminine, just feeling right and normal. And that's how it was. It just felt so easy. And all of the things that, you know, all of the excuses that I had heard growing up or all of the negative, um, you know, rhetoric around the ordination of women, it just kind of all vanished in that moment of being ministered to by a woman. Um, I have two teenage daughters. They were three when I first came to Community of Christ. They're now 13. And having them experience Community of Christ with having, I 
think I'm their third female pastor, their third woman, um, you know, who's been pastor. They've had several male pastors as well. Um, but to them, it's just normal. And it's kind of funny because they'll just like casually mention what I do. Um, and, and my job is, is not necessarily pastor, but that's the role that I currently serve in. Um, but they'll just, you know, throw out that their mom is a pastor and people are like, what? And, you know, living in Utah, I'm always a little bit hesitant to tell people what I do. I usually just say minister, um, which is true, but, um, it, it still is kind of one of those things that is so taboo that it doesn't always feel safe to lead with that. Um, and I, I mean, I also work for Community of Christ on the communications team. So if I'm in a very secular setting, sometimes I lean on that side of my job and I say like, oh, I do, you know, uh, social media and marketing for my church. And that doesn't, you know, I don't stick out like a sore thumb as much if I just say, hey, I'm a pastor. Like there's, there's not a lot of women pastors in Utah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really great to see, you know, a generation of my congregation just have this be normal. Um, we have little girls and little boys who have pretty much been raised in this community now, and it's just what they know. Um, there have been a couple of times where, um, well, one time in particular where uh, I was kind of tagged at the end of a service. We have visitors all the time in Salt Lake. And this was probably five or six years ago. But this man came and was like, ma'am, ma'am, I think he called me sister, which Mormon, right? But he, he wanted to introduce me to his daughter because I had blessed the communion emblems. I, you know, blessed the bread or the wine. It's grape juice in our denomination. But um, he wanted his daughter, his little Mormon daughter, to meet a woman minister. And we never saw him again, but he just, like, you know, like grabbed his girl and, you know, told me her name, let me know that he really wanted her to see that women could be leaders in churches. And I just like cried the whole way home. Um, I live about 40 minutes away from our congregation and I just like cried because how impactful that would have been for me as a little girl. Like I would have, um, I would have not had as much shame if I even knew that it was a possibility. Right. Um, it was bad. It was dirty. It was, it was what the apostates did. Um, but really it's just easy and it's just beautiful. And, um, this year we're actually, getting ready to celebrate the 40th anniversary of women's ordination in community of Christ. And so um, that's going to be really exciting and um, doing social media for the church. We're already starting to talk about how we're going to highlight the stories of women um, this coming spring. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for it. Um, and as Jason said, I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of those pioneering women um, who have kind of led the way Um but also, you know, one of my dear, dear friends in the church, Marge Tro, she was prolific in pushing for the ordination of women. A lot of folks have kind of called her the Kate Kelly of the reorganization. Um, she was specifically hired by the prophet at the time, Wallace B. Smith, um, to essentially help educate church leaders on the issues of women and the issues that they faced in the church that did not ordain women. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of evidence that through her scholarship and through her storytelling and through her theological um, nudgings, um, that that is, you know, what really helped bring about the revelation in section 156, um, which is the uh, Doctrine and Covenant section that ordained women. So, yeah, it's it's been a really, um, it's been something that I still uh, wrestle with a little bit because it it does bring shame in this community. I mean, I am not celebrated um, by a whole lot of people. Um, in some ways, I think I'm my family's, you know, biggest embarrassment because I represent something that they're proud of me. I mean, and at this point they are proud of me, but um, it's been really hard because, you know, this is something that has really set me apart and has really said, um, made myself, I don't know how I want to say this. It's made myself unavailable for the LDS church, right? I mean, I could never go back. 
um, for a lot of reasons, but specifically for this reason. And um, so, yeah, it's it's been something that has really benefited and blessed my life. Um, and I still choke up usually when I do the communion prayers. Um, but yeah, it's something that I feel very honored to do. And I, I'm especially aware of the impact that it has in this community here in Utah. Um, not that I'm like tokenized or anything, but um, oh, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Like that and guy bringing he- his daughter, obviously, like you're so needed that he ran to you with his child. Like that has got to be such a powerful feeling of like, or just, I can't even imagine the emotions when he ran up because it is so needed. Yeah. That is so amazing. And your, um, your husband, I asked you a little bit about this at the church. Your husband is also a member or he comes to the congregation as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's a member. Mm-hmm. Yep. We left the LDS church and joined community of Christ at the same time. Um, he's definitely a lot less religious than I am. Um, I'm more like into it than he is. Um, but he's still around and mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he serves as a priest in the congregation. So, and I'm an elder. Okay. Wow. Oh, I love That's that. Incredible. Yeah. I love hearing those. Yeah. And I will say, yeah, the fact that you are hesitant to share your title with everyone, though, is it's just telling of the patriarchy and and what we need to work on as a as a whole. Um, Yeah. But I don't blame you because, you know, there are some people who are not safe and yeah, um, and who could um, take that information and harm you with it. And that is just not okay. And so I'm sorry that you've you've had to experience that. And I really hope that that changes. We had a lot of people reach out and say like, I know Brittany or, or like, like Emmy said, like, oh, are you talking about Brittany? And that was really reassuring and just really cool to see like that you are known by probably more than, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a big um, participant in the Mormon feminist community for three or four plus years um, before I left. Mm-hmm. And I'm still very much involved in that community. Um, and so, yeah, I, I pop up in a lot of Facebook groups. Um, I definitely still have connections to a lot of folks who have tried to stay in the LDS church and or who have just left. Um, and I, you know, I don't think that one path or one decision is right or wrong. You know, you got to go with your heart. But I definitely still have connections to folks uh, who are in the LDS church who are trying to make it better. So yeah. that's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. Um, and the next question we kind of, we've hit on a lot. So if you don't, if you'd rather skip this question, we can, or if you have more to say about it, you're welcome to. But the next question is what authority do you believe in, especially as a female pastor? Yeah. So I, I have a, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, and it kind of goes back to, again, community of Christ having a totally different framework of what priesthood is. So I know what my answer would be as a Mormon, right? Like I get my authority from God and this priesthood lineage and, you know, like the whole priesthood chart. And obviously I would have to be a dude for that to be valid. Um, But the reality is, is that, you know, in community of Christ, we claim those same roots too. Um, Our understanding of priesthood has definitely expanded. So we would not say that we have like priesthood authority in the same way that the LDS church would say, like we, like our, our prophet president is not the prophet for the world. Right. Whereas in the LDS church, that um, prophetic mantle is seen as, you know, the, the authority for the entire globe. Um, So that word is not necessarily used in the same way at all. Um, But in community of Christ, Uh, I would say I get my authority from the community and that community also includes God. So again, we would view a call to priesthood um, as one that a pastor or other church leader extends to the candidate. And then those calls go to church leadership, different levels of church leadership to kind of approve or not approve. Um, there's classes that are required, there's background checks. Um, we really do try to put in safety guards for our kids and for our congregants. 
Um, and those safety guards include, you know, theological ones as well. So every priesthood um, member has to take, you know, two or three plus classes in order to be ordained. And so, and with that comes, yeah, the, the community's acceptance of that call. And so for me, it's, again, not so much like God in the sky, in the clouds, like dictating who's going to do what, but it's a decision that's based in community um, and is going to benefit community. So right now I serve as pastor um, and that call actually came at a little bit of a dramatic time in my own life and in the life of our congregation. And I was not super thrilled about it. <laughs> um, I kind of always assumed that, you know, I would serve in that leadership position at some point. Um, but it came probably two years earlier, I would say, than I was anticipating. Um, and so it, it felt a little bit fast tracked from my perspective, but the community was loud and clear on who they wanted to be their next leader. And I've been walking with this community now for almost a decade. And so I said, yes. And so as much as, you know, God is behind this community is equally as behind this, um, because they, they decided who they wanted to their leader. And, um, that also is a. I don't want to say heavy in a negative way, but it is a little bit of a heavy responsibility um, because I don't want to let people down. And, you know, they chose me out of a variety of qualified leaders. And so um, luckily I have a pretty robust leadership team. There's five of us total, Jason being one of them. Um, and, you know, together we're just trying to figure out what it means to be in community of Christ and then how to live that out. So yeah, I would say that's where my authority comes from, God and community, and God is in that community. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad they asked that question. Yeah. I felt like it was repetitive, but not at all. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. It's It just makes sense, again, because God is in everything, everything good. So it just makes sense. And background checks, background checks. I'm like, do we, not, do we do that, Emmy? I don't think we do. And that is now I'm just realizing like, uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to hold some of my my thoughts here. So incredibly important. It does. And it seems like a no brainer, but I will hold my tongue. (laughs) Some things. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much though. That was, oh, I love that. That is Mm -hmm. amazing. And I'm sure that was a very heavy, big calling, but, um, but while we were there, people had told us that some of the members, um, of your congregation had said like we knew it was Brittany <laughs> I was like oh it's so cool to see the community working together so yeah and I think probably the community felt inspired as well and you know um so but but also use logic and used you know some of those things like background checks and you know mm-hmm. things that that um, we really do have to think for ourselves as well these next questions are for Jen yeah um, Please join us next week in our final part of this series where we will focus primarily on Jen Bailey. She has some really great insight into what it's like to be a fairly newly transitioning transgender female in Utah who was once very deeply ingrained in her LDS faith and is now a big part of the Community of Christ family. Also, keep listening to hear a quick final chat with Jason Eyre after their new prophet president was announced just a couple days after this interview was held. It's all very exciting. Again, thank you to our listeners for your contributions of questions. They really shaped our conversation in a beautiful way. And finally, a few fun bloopers at the very end. As we were recording this, the announcement was getting ready to come out about our new prophet president. And now we have a chance to kind of circle back on that. It was kind of a goosebump moment for me when... It was announced that our next prophet president designate, as we call them, because they'll be sustained at World Conference next year mm-hmm. in 2025, was Stacy Cram. And the interesting thing with Stacy is Stacy's come out to Utah and presided over as a guest minister our reunions up at Camp Redcliffe above Ogden. She's also come to some of our, like our stake, our mission center meetings where she's been the visiting authority. And many of us have with her, she used to be in the presiding bishopric, 
And with her role as presiding bishopric, I, I mean, I've personally had to help take care of certain business transactions in the church with her approval. And she's taken the time to listen and help understand the intent behind those types of things. So it's not only a goosebump moment that we are kind of breaking the glass ceiling and having uh, again, a woman as a prophet, but it's also amazing that it's someone that we've known on a first name basis. And I think that just speaks mm -hmm. to the beauty of how small this faith community is and how intertwined it is. Oh, for sure. We are so happy and excited that we've kind of, we feel like we're part of it, even though we haven't, you know, been involved in your community at all for very long. But, um, but it was really cool to wonder, you know, when we did this recording initially, we were so excited <laughs> to see if there was going to be the first woman prophet president. And then like two days later, she was. And so we got to be excited with you guys in that moment. And it was kind of an honor. I mean, it was totally an honor and really exciting for us as well. So sure. now for just fun. for your information, Brittany actually knew. <laughs> I and heard I that. And I knew that she knew, oh, but, I, but she couldn't tell me either. I mean, right. she, she works in public relations for the church. She's over social media. And so she's on the communications knew. team. Oh, okay. And, so, and like, did they just tell all the pastors? or No, they didn't oh. tell any of the pastors. They told the social media group because they were building memes and getting oh, ready to have okay. everything hit at one o'clock on Wednesday independence time or whatever it was. Oh, Anyways. that makes sense. That's awesome. Well, yeah, after we posted about it, she was like, I had such a hard time not telling you guys. And now looking back at our recording, I could tell she like tried to <laughs> hush herself. She like closed her mouth like <laughs> in, yeah. a, in a poker kind of way. <laughs> anyway, so that's awesome. Thanks for joining us on That's Church. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at That's Church Podcast for more updates, insights, and a glimpse into the diverse spiritual tapestry of Utah. Let's keep the conversation going because we believe that gaining knowledge of other religions does not diminish our own faith, but can instead enrich our spirituality. You can tell that we're sisters because I will pick on her relentlessly even though I'm the younger sister. <laughs> it goes the opposite way in our family. You all good over there? Todd's not coming? No. Okay. No. <laughs> um, so. I wanted to keep the essence because that was a very spiritual experience for me to oh. to share this and to, to be involved with the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I think this is a cool dynamic to have somebody from the LDS faith interviewing people from community of Christ sure. because um, you guys do your own thing, but, and, and it's awesome too, but I think this is a really fun dynamic and different way to do things. So it's been well, fun. And I've enjoyed you guys talking about being Sunday school teachers and, and mm -hmm. the, what the come follow me programs doing this year and kind of the comparison contrast and things like that. So oh, good. Oh, it's wonderful. I think it's been really good on both ends. Yeah.